You're tuned in to RX Radio. Movement prescribed. Brought to you by Prescript.com. A personalized approach to keeping you healthy and making your best even better. Your hosts, Dr. Jordan Shallow and Dr. Jordan Jinta. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of RX Radio. Um, we've been shuffling around the order. We've had a few episodes kind of like up in um, up in the queue, uh, wondering kind of what order to post them in. Uh, and I think this one's a really good one to, to have this week, kind of with the goings-on of current events. First off, I hope everyone's staying safe, um, staying sane inside or out, um, you know, wherever you guys are. Hopefully, you can get back into training uh, and kind of get back to some normalcy whatever whatever that's going to look like for you guys wherever you are um so kind of all disclaimers out of the way i think this this podcast is really good uh i've been lucky like super lucky being able to connect with like a ton of uh ton of people in this i don't know I, i'm remiss to use the word like industry but let's call let's call it industry for lack of a better term uh and this dude is um is someone that i think you guys should definitely keep an eye on and it's almost like remember where you heard his name first because he's not going away um and i think he's he's probably going to be uh, not probably he's, he's going to be someone that um is going to be a thought leader in the fitness industry um moving forward i first got put onto this guy a couple years ago um been kind of keeping a close eye on him and, and just what he's been able to do and um his his physical ability is i remember watching this thing once and if there's anyone out there who's like a like a bodybuilder meathead, it was like uh, it was Kai Green. So again, if you're not into bodybuilding, this will be totally lost on you. So you could fast forward to the actual start of the podcast, but I think it's a worthwhile comparison to make. So Kai Green was talking about Ronnie Coleman in this interview. I used to watch YouTube videos of people training before I went to train. Um, I don't know. I still kind of do it sometimes, if I'm being honest. And he was talking about Ronnie Coleman. It was like, you know, someone like that has clearly has like a story, right? Like no one just, no normal person just walks in off the street and says, I'm going to squat 800 for 10 or 800 for two, two weeks out from the Olympia. Like there's something, there's something experience that drives that process. And, you know, for better or for worse, for good, good or bad, it's, it's something that makes him really proficient at what he does. So like, he's like, yeah, I know Ronnie Coleman, but I don't think you'll ever really know someone that that pushes themselves to that level and that was like something that just kept re like that quote that i mean i'm paraphrasing obviously but that sentiment like kind of just kept going through my head as i watched this guy train again just kind of through the keyhole of social media uh so our guest this week is a dude named nick gloff um nick is uh a bodybuilder and kind of an aspiring academic and coach out of um out of the northeast of the united states and I would watch him train and like there's, you know, I've trained with the strongest guys in the world and, you know, some of the bigger dudes in the world uh, and I've been super fortunate to do so. And this guy is, you know, in his early twenties and to watch him train is like, there's a, there's a story here. Like no one just does this, like, especially now that like things are in lockdown and you kind of see like people's true affinity for training. Like I know a lot of you guys that listen, I follow a lot of you guys on social um, and you know, you guys are just making it happen. Now, this guy, you know, when the world kind of went dark, he just went into his basement and got to work. And he is arguably the strongest 20, how old Nick, 22, 23 year old I've ever come across. Um, 
and, and he's got a he's got a mental maturity to match that as well. So, so really, like you know, you see someone with that physical capability, and you guys know like that the the mind is going to be at the helm and the forefront uh, of being able to endure that. So like, there's definitely a story there, and uh, Nick was kind enough to kind of share some of that story with us um, on the podcast today. Um, and we, we dive a little bit into programming and he has a very, uh, complimentary viewpoint. Uh, and we, and that's interesting, but I really think the takeaway is like, you know, the cut of this guy's character and his backstory and, and talking about his childhood and stuff, I think was really, uh, a really good, uh, vantage point of, you know, and proof of concept of this idea is look, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to bring this to you guys. It'll be something that uh, you'll probably see Nick on, on podcasts coming forward. Maybe if we want to dive a little bit more into the technical or dive more into the mindset, you guys reach out um, and let us know. Be sure to follow Nick on Instagram. Seriously, like when it comes to good information in you know applied or application, he's he's on the come up. I think is as one of the the ones who's walking the walk and talking the talk. I think his comprehension around comprehension around training is only superseded by his uh, maturity and his mindset. Um, so this is Nick Loff. Um, sat down. He was nice enough to lend us um, an hour and a half of his time. I I, I admire this dude. I, I look up to his work ethic. He's someone that I think is is worthy of a tremendous amount of respect. Um, and his professionalism and candor, I, I would say that he's one of the um, kind of one of the coaches to look out for uh, in the next, you know, in the next decade. He'll be a he'll be a household name for sure. Um, that being said, uh, some exciting news on the back end before we dive into the episode, guys. Uh, Prescript Level One course is going to be going live this weekend. Um, so there's been a few ways that people can get on the sign up list. So you can go to www.pre-script.com. There's going to be a little promotional pop-up that greets you as you land on the website. You pop, pop your email in there, or if you want to honestly, just shoot me a DM, Jordan at the muscle doc, uh, at the underscore muscle underscore doc on Instagram, shoot me a DM with your email and I'll make sure you're going to be the first to know. So that pre-sale list will be the first to be contacted. Um, sort of with the exclusive sign up. So if you want to get on to the next semester, we're looking at an August start. Um, so first week of August, that'll be as we roll into the the final semester. So that's going to be um, the next PSL one prescript level one coaching certification course. Uh, and two, it's going to be uh, closing in on uh, the last free month of RX programming. So if you want to get on, you're curious about it, uh, get on uh, www.predescript.com. Go over to the RX programming and get your one month for free using code RX100. Uh, without any further ado, guys, honestly, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to muddy the waters of this one. Just trying to pay the bills. Uh, it's a really interesting episode. Make sure um, you know if you if you like the episode, reach out to Nick. Um, you know, share it over social. I think people like this need need a much larger platform. Um, his uh, he just keeps his head down and goes to work, and to be able to take him for an hour and kind of go into his mindset is is really unique. Um, so again, Nick, thank you for for lending us your time. I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you next week. So yeah, I mean, when you first start, like, when when did you? What was your like bodybuilding inception moment? Like, I know what mine was. Like, I remember you, Joe Fuad Abiyan. Yeah. Yeah, so Fuad's from my hometown, and I remember I he was training in the gym I was at, and at this point, it wasn't the gym he currently trained at, so I was like, I remember walking upstairs and like seeing, we had like these massage chairs, it was like this fucking corporate gym, mm -hmm. and 
I knew there was a massage chair there. I just didn't understand why this human being was levitating over where the massage chair was because I couldn't see the chair underneath him. And like there was these fuck off massive like Brookstone massage chairs. And I was like, where did the chair go? How is this human being so big? And then he got up and I was just like, this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. And I was like, ever since then, I was like, all right, I was training for like hockey and getting in shape for sports and all that. And I was like, ah, well, well, that's that dream has died. I'm going to go follow this guy and do whatever he does for five years. And then I met my training partner and then that was kind of it. What was your like, cause you're still young. Like, I feel like I was your age when I started and you're like, well, you're stronger than I am now. And I've been doing it for like a decade. What was the first, like, oh, I'm going to do this thing now. Uh, it's kind of unspecific for me. It's not like that, like one moment, like a lot of people end up talking about like you seeing a massive human and like most people seeing somebody on a flex magazine or something like that. The most common one. Um, I don't know, man. I went through when I was about 12, I started playing football. So when I started playing football, I was like horribly obese really oh, yeah like real bad because like when i was 10 i had appendicitis and like long story short i had this weird mental association between physical activity and pain because my appendix was basically like on the verge of bursting throughout like an entire period of a day that i was just outside like playing with my friends so like later that night like i was hallucinating in pain and, and stuff and like it was not good. <laughs> I got brought to the hospital and like, basically as soon as I got in the door, I started seizing. So like after that point, it was another three weeks of intensive care because it, you know, it made a mess of my insides basically. So like when I was 10, I had that experience. And like, since that point, after having that happen over after a day of not doing, you know, being physically active, like my young brain decided like, no, safety is doing nothing. So then after I recovered from that, I had the next two years where I was just couch potato. I did nothing. I just ate food and played video games. And that was all I did. And I was like, I mean, I'm sitting in a chair now. I'm, I'm five, eight, so I'm not tall by any means, but I was like four, eight, maybe five foot. And I was like, I had a gravitational pull of my own. Like, I was circular. It was really, it was really bad. I could like, I could send you some pictures later if you want to put that up, but that, uh, I had a friend of mine in fifth grade that was just like, he was just on top of me. It was like one of the coolest guys on the football team. Basically it's like the top dog. Just like, dude, come on, come and do something. Come play. And I was just that weird kid that never said anything in class. And like that got me to do it. And then back then there was weight limits for what you could be for like playing football and the weight limit for being a lineman, which was the only option for me <laughs> was to be under 125. I weighed 160. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And children's sports for like, football because it wasn't actually a part of school sports it was like it was like a peewee league basically so it was outside of it but it was kind of connected um it was all summer it was just summer basically and then the games played into the fall a little bit but over like the period of like two months three months ish 
I had to lose all that weight to make the cutoff to play. And <laughs> I did it. Holy and, shit. Yeah. Basically just starvation the entire time. I ice cubes became my favorite meal that and then salad with like chopped up chicken in it and basically just running. <laughs> so that started this like, because of the success that I could see so quickly, because I had like had that two years, like starting with a catalyst that was a huge downward spiral in where my life was going. And it was just going down as things went on. And then I just, I took charge of things and I was able to make that big of a turnaround that quickly. And then after I had made the weight and everything, and I had empowered myself with what I could do there, I ended up in the first year of me playing, being the kid that almost got laughed off the field on the first day. It's like after the practice was done, basically I died because I hadn't done any physical activity in years. But then uh, they had the huddle up at the very end of the day. We all got on a knee and the coaches basically introduced themselves and laid out everything. And then there was like three of us really big kids. And we're obviously, we're always the ones that drop out after the first week. So he just like, he pointed me out and was like, hey, how much do you have to lose? But uh, I weigh 160, sir. It's like, <laughs> it just laughed at me and then said no more words to me and just went on with it. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like the combination of just like me being able to make some things happen there, having that like my first hater. <laughs> and then after that, halfway through the season, I got real lucky I was really good at like being in the dirt and doing, making some things happen. So on a, a lineman drill, I ended up breaking the wrist of the guy that had the position that I wanted. And I took his position. <laughs> and then this is a clear up, example. You make your own luck. You make your own luck by breaking people's bones. I love it. There you go. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. We could end here. <laughs> but, but yeah, so like, that happened and that wasn't actually intentional. It just happened. Um, but then I ended up being a, a starter on the team. And from there I ended up taking charge of the lineman as the lineman coach, like basically the team captain on that side of things. And I wrestled all the way through school from when I was like young, young, and that took through. And just for me to be, have that extra edge and that little bit of a, a sadistic anger, like that chip on my shoulder that I had, from having to push myself so hard and disregard all the negative feelings I had about either myself or what I had to do to be better. I just took it into my own hands and just made myself embrace it. And that just like repetitive beating my head against the wall and going, no, this is it. This is what you do. This is how you get better. So get better. So get better. So get better. And just over time, it just became like, how do I get better now? I just move bigger things. I get stronger than anybody else that I could ever see. And everybody in my general vicinity, I was like, okay, biggest guy in the gym's over there. What's he doing? He is right now incline pressing my squat. So what are we gonna do? <laughs> we're gonna get there and we're gonna bury him. And that was the start. And that was high school. That's a weird, that's a weird time to have, like, I think most successful people have, like, some sort of pivotal, like, 
moment, but it's in like a foxhole in Afghanistan or like when it's just like stuff goes belly up when you're 25 and you end up living in your car for a bit and out of your office and basically homeless. But at 12 years old, that's kind of like an interesting origin story to be like, and most people don't have the awareness at 12 to really see that as an issue. Like I was kind of like, I was kind of a fat kid at yeah, probably 12, 13, 14. It was like, I wasn't, I, I was, the, I would be like the, the butt of the jokes kind of thing, but it wasn't like, I don't know. You kind of brush it off. Like, I don't, I don't see that as like a catalyst, but to have like the awareness at 12 years old to be like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Fuck you. Fuck you. Football coach. This <laughs> is that. Okay. Well, I guess my question, like kind of a selfish, I think a selfish pursuit is like now when you're training and it's yeah. like you, I mean, obviously we're not in gyms at the moment, but like yeah. when you go and you look like that guy's incline pressing my squat, well, you can't say that anymore because uh, maybe if you train next to Julius Maddox, maybe, yeah. but I think you might have him lick there. How yeah. do you, like, what's, how did the motivation start to shift? And I don't even want to call it motivation. Like, how did the discipline start to shift as you kind of ascended through the ranks? Like, you're looking around now and, dude, like, you got my attention because you're literally, like, you're the, I would say you're arguably one of the strongest bodybuilders that I can think of. And you're probably the, like, who would, who would, I, we talk off a lot about Jordan Peters. He, his name comes to mind. Um, Luke Sando, rest in peace. He was probably one of the strongest. Uh, but other than that, man, like the new age progressive overload Kings, like I look at the, I like the British guys. Um, yeah. And J- Jimmy's pretty strong. James Hollingshead. Yeah. But it's like, they all kind of d- disciples of the church of Dorian and temple and all that. But it's like, where are you looking for motivation or like, how do you, is, I don't understand. Like why? why? Uh, so, I mean, to go even deeper, cause like it's kind of hard to, to develop your own cross based off of being a 12 year old and having to lose a lot of weight, you know? Yeah. Um, I had my childhood was a little bit hard. I mean, a lot of people end up being, I mean, at least the stories we tell ourselves. So when I was, when I was just about 12 at about the same time, my parents split in a not so nice way. And my older sister is uh, learning challenged. And my little brother was too young to know anything. He didn't know any better. So I was the most logical thinking human being in the situation out of everybody involved. So what ended up happening at the time was I ended up having to be a father figure for my older sister who was three years older than me. And then my younger brother, well, at the same time, my mom actually developed breast cancer. So it was, yeah. So I'm not going to go into the the details of like the reason the divorce happened uh, between my parents, but everything coincided at the same exact time. So there was actually, there was a moment that there, so a catalyst moment here. Um, I remember vividly, I used to hang out with a good friend of mine, Alex. He was like my best buddy in the world. Just hung out with him every day. Um, his mom was like my mom. And there was one morning after I stayed over for the weekend and like all the stuff was happening at the time. And it was like, just started. She was driving me home 
And she just asked me, like, what do you think of all this? It's like, what do you mean? Like, because I, I didn't really think anything. So I, I hadn't put things together and sat on it. But it was like, okay, so what do you think about your, your mom? She's like, she's sick. She, she might die. And I just sat there silent for the rest of the car ride home. And I, and I remember like just looking out the windows and it was like, it was a beautiful day. It was like a fall day and just, it was like, I don't know. It's just one of those weird memories. Like I remembered that was basically when my childhood died. And like after that point, and then having to go through all the things that I did being basically a, a father figure at 12, getting my own life together just by finding my own motivation to do something to be successful at so that I could stand behind myself as somebody to listen to and somebody to respect because that was my motivation in the first place. And then to become self-aware enough and aware of the world enough to, to understand people's personalities and how, how dark things can be at times. And there's nothing you can do. You just need to stand up. You need to look at it and just make sure that you don't crumble no matter what it is that you had to do. When I had to be, the impartial arbiter between my parents when they were angry at each other and they couldn't be in the same room because it was going to become a bigger issue than it needed to be. I was the person that had to do that. When I knew that one person did this and one person did this, I had to just go with whatever the message was, try to, you know, move words around and be tactical to make things work so that nobody got into a fight. Like it was just these life skills and understandings that like, on the drop of a dime, nobody that you ever thought you could have trusted can be trustworthy when things come to an end. And just like anything else, trust is fleeting, just like life is fleeting. So you that's need to a, things. I mean, that's a, it's a good lesson to learn. And a lot of people don't ever learn it and let alone learn it at 12. Like is, I guess in retrospect, right? Like, it's a weird thing to ask, but like, are you glad it happened then? I mean, you, you were clearly on the better of it now. Like, I, I mean, you're, you're someone that's garnering a lot of like worthy attention for doing something that you like to do and doing it frankly better than most people that I ever come across. And this is what I do is scour the internet and look at people who do this really well. But like now that you're on the other side of it, like, is this something that you are glad that happened to you at 12? Yeah. Yeah. It it gave me enough time for me. I mean, it, it took a lot of time away from me, but honestly, I wasn't doing anything with that time anyway. Cause like the kind of, the kind of kid that I was, like I was very like reserved, like overly reserved for no reason. So like, I didn't ever try anything that hard. I didn't really push out to make like new, new friends. So like, I wasn't going out of my way to like be better for myself or to go and be a part of things. I was just always okay with, you know, just existing. So in a way it gave me a reason for me to be and to do things, whether or not I wanted to do them, but it, it showed me that there is a way to find a purpose. And then that purpose is what you make it. The purpose isn't just to survive at, after a certain point. The point is to make it through the wall that's in front of you that looks impossible so that you can see the other side. And that comes back to your original question, which is why I went through the whole story. 
Um, what is my motivation now? My motivation now isn't looking at Jordan Peters and being like, okay, he's got seven plates on it on a stiff leg deficit. I got to do that next week. That's not, even though I look to it and be like, okay, awesome. That's possible. And I can get there. That's basically how I looked at that. Um, what my motivation now, and it always was, it never really changed. I didn't even go to school for myself. I went to school because since I was 12, my, my mom had to work two, three jobs at a time to support a family that really didn't understand why she had to be away. So at the time that I had to make decisions, I had to decide I have to make it for, for this family. I'm going to make it so that everybody else can make it. And even now that's, that's what it is when I, I go and I train because it's, it's a vehicle that I can use for me to propel myself forward, for me to pro- put my energy into a place that's productive for myself. It's something that I grew a passion for. So I'm going to pursue the passion with everything that I can. And then also it's a vehicle for me to move in a direction that I was originally impassioned by. And now I actually have garnered enough, enough appreciation for beyond just doing the thing that I appreciate what's behind doing the thing when you pull back the curtain so that it's not just me going and being a meathead and moving things around. It's not me trying to be the biggest gorilla in the forest. Like I'm trying to move to a place where all of that sure still matters. And it's something that matters to me personally, because I want to be better than I was. But at the end of it, it's, it's the greatest vehicle that I've ever found for me to be successful in my own right. What, and this is a question, because like, I don't know, I feel like we kind of come from similar places and I could give an easy answer to like where I would be. Because like, like your, your personality changes as you get put through stressful situations, but it, or it's more or less revealed to you. Like you are who you are and then stress, like it literally activates genes and then you end up, you end up kind of becoming who you are. And it's like, I know if I didn't get into training and that was like a vehicle, like you said, like, I don't know exactly where I'd be. And I, my, my pivotal moment was like, watch, I was in like a, a hotel room, downtown Windsor. I was watching a bunch of guys rail oxies up their nose. And I was like, okay, all right, we have, we have some major life decisions. <laughs> One guy was walking down the hallway and there was like a Coke machine in the hallway of this like motel room in downtown Windsor. And, and he bumped out a key of, cocaine on the little tray where the credit card went or where the change went at the time and he ripped a rail off of that and just because it said coke on the thing and his buddy took a picture and i was like okay all right if i don't go to school i'm gonna end up face that like i wasn't like i didn't never i never got into that kind of stuff i was just ran and really probably not the greatest circles what would your like where would you be now like like, I think people have a pretty good idea of how they would like how they would like death spiral, like the exact route that they would go. Like if 12 doesn't happen or you just don't react to it the same way, like where is 22, 23 year old Nick now? I think part of it's hard for me to answer because it happened so young. Right. So my exposure to the rest of the world and what my possibilities were was really limited by that point. So really in a way it was a good thing because I didn't see any other way forward. Um, I don't know. 
I think at the end of high school and into college, I mean, into, I mean, it was more of an obsession, an unhealthy obsession back then because I needed an outlet for everything that was going on for me. Um, and it was less of a passion, I'd say. It was more something that I had to do compulsively and I wasn't going to be okay if I didn't. Um, and then through college, it ended up being something that like, I went to school for exercise science, not because I was particularly well read on it and I thought that was the right way to go or that I thought that there was gonna be a good career path in it. I decided to do it because I was like, Hey, I exercise and I hate literally everything else. So, <laughs> so I went that direction and then just kind of followed the path. And in those first two years, they were pretty much the most crushing years for me. Um, just personality wise. Cause like, like you said, you get faced with stresses and it shows you who you are and it changes the way that you look at things. In those first two years, I was faced with like, a lot of mental health issues. And one of the things that kept me moving all the time was knowing that like, hey, I can go to the gym later and I can just go to the place and I can just do what I'm gonna do and I can exert myself and feel alive for a little bit and then that's going to make the day okay. So if I didn't have that, I can't imagine I would have lasted this long and would have been 22, 23 year old Nick. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's weird. Uh, were you, were you the type before you trained? And I've just started doing this again, like watching bodybuilding videos. Like, I, I think that's kind of like a stupid question, but like, I remember watching one and it's Kai green in like the basement of some Brooklyn gym. And he's talking about Ronnie Coleman. And then I forget the context of the interview, but they were asking about Ronnie Coleman and they're like, he talks something along the lines of like, basically Ronnie Coleman's not okay in the head. And this is pre Ronnie Netflix. This is when Ronnie was still like, you know, yeah. it wasn't lifting still. Do you know the video I'm talking about? Yeah. Where it's like, he's sitting there and he's like, he's like, you'll never really know someone like that. And the, the, the interviewers can't quite wrap their head around it. It's like, no, I, like, I know Ronnie Coleman. Like, I know him mm -hmm. on a personal level, but, like, you'll never really know someone like that. And, like, I heard it. I immediately understood it at, I don't know, 16 or 17. Yeah. But then they kept pressing. He's like, look, the guy put 800 pounds on his back and said, I'm going to stand or I'm going to sit down and stand up with this as many times as I can until I pass out yeah. or blow something out. And he's like, look, this makes people like for better or for worse it makes them better like if you're a cop if you're a football player if you're in the military like this whatever that chip is like that is the chip that's driving the machine so it's like you'll never really know like and there's there's things like i think to a certain degree to push it to the level that you have at the age that you have like that I think without that, and everyone I think that I see, like every bodybuilder that I see or every powerlifter that I see, it's like you don't really like you don't really know them because it's like, man, the the gravity of that experience that pushes you to do that to yourself. It's like you need the pain of lifting that much weight to drown out the pain of something else. It's like fuck, man. Like that's and that's where people like that don't understand bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength sports, like 
you don't understand what you're looking at. Like you don't get like, that's kind of like an, ex- it's, it's an artful expression because it's like, do you have any idea how much that hurts? Like I, I watch you lift and I'm just like, what the fuck is he doing? Like if you weren't so massive, I'd be like, oh, this is, this guy's stuff. Like he's really good at Photoshop. Like, no, he's actually got that, those, like that many plates on the bar. Like it's cartoonish to watch you lift weights. But at the same time, it's like when you see when you're actually watching, you're like, whoa, there's a story there. Because no one's just like, I mean, have you ever seen Dexter Jackson lift? Yeah. Dexter Jackson lift. And I, I, like, I've run into Dexter a handful of times at Venice. And like, he's one of my favorite bodybuilders when we think of like the outcome. Like steps on stage, 46 years old, swept the Arnolds like three or four years ago, crushing it, not in a wheelchair, no colostomy bag. Oh, but it's like you watch him lift and it's just like, oh, this is like, you, this is kind of just like a genetic thing. Like this it's, is just. It's uninspired. Is, uninspired that's a really good way to put it but like i watch you lift i watch jp lift watch like jimmy lift and those guys and it's like who hurts you what the (laughs) fuck man like that is crazy and it's like when you can read it like read between the lines and i think that's where bodybuilding like gets a bad rap is like people don't understand what you don't understand what you're looking at like i've been dieting for a week and it's like this is the shittiest thing ever of all time (laughs) i'm like 40 percent body fat right now i think and it's like i can't wrap my head around it like i just love the idea as like especially as i get older like basically like purposeful suffering and it's like look that's the whole point that's the whole reason we're here it's like saddle up you got maybe 80 years in you it's going to be nothing but like raining shit and kind of trying to find meaning in it. So you might as well basically get to control your situation and pick the, pick the shit you got to deal with. Yeah. That shit's uh, how heavy was that squat the other day? It's like uh, back squat or front squat back front squat. Don't even get me started. <laughs> uh, back squat was six seventy five for four. That's fucked. Yeah. How, what's your body weight? Sorry, go totally like me head on this. <laughs> uh, right now, about two sixty. That's insane. Yeah, dude, that's like the most like you, that's very competitive numbers in a powerlifting competition. Like six seventy five for four, you get you down to two forty two for a twenty four hour weigh in. Man, that's that's like upset. What's your best? Let's like, let, let's let's switch from the somber tones. Like let's 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 move more towards lifting now. Like. Across the board, like what are your, what are your milestone lifts, squat, bench, and dead? And then I want to talk a little bit about programming from there. Well, my best squat ever was that set, six seventy five for four. Really, fuck, monster. Yeah. Um, uh, I actually I care a little bit more about my front squat than I do my back squat personally. Uh, front squat, my best was also um, five eighty five for four. That was was that like a few weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan, by the way. <laughs> I, I like. I know it's. I know a lot of your lifts, which is crazy. Without pressing, like you're no joke. Like I see, you're like on the incline. What's best? I mean, this is what a lot of powerlifters that listen to this are going to care about, just to bring some like mm. some carryover and some weight to the table. Uh, the last time I went for like an actual like a flat bench press, a one rep was over a year ago. And I got 455, which is poverty, basically. But yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say it's you're you're not doing all right. No one's no one's donating dollars a day to to Nick's 
piddly 455 <laughs> bench press. Uh, well, train, training principles, man, because like you're one of the few that would you you'd identify more in the in a bodybuilding sense, right? That you have numbers that rival international elite totals in powerlifting. When did you start to, or what was your first like ethos built around like training? Like what what was the mindset? What were the inspirations? Like what do you gravitate towards? How would you define like your style? Because I think you do have even in the space of like you know the progressive overload guys, like you do have somewhat of a unique style from from where I'm sitting in the internet. Give me a bit of a run through of like the history leading up till now of like how it is that you approach training. Well, I've been on every side of the equation that you possibly could have been. So I started off doing like when I first started training at all 10 years ago, it was basically like agility circuit stuff. Like you remember insanity workouts way back in the day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. I used to do, do those things and I used to do like two of them a day. And that's where I started. And then I like went through their progress up to like their speed agility ladder, like specialist stuff. And that was where I started sort of. And then I moved, when I moved into a gym and I started doing like after that was P90X and I did that until I couldn't do that anymore. Um, yeah. So I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> if this, if this thing gets shared a hundred times, I want you to do P90X in the living room. You would just, what? it's like some of it's on a, you would just break a couch. You would absolutely like, if you had to like do a step up onto a couch, it would have to be made of like stainless steel. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, back then I started there. And then once I got into an actual gym, cause I couldn't afford to be in a gym, I couldn't pay for it. So the way I weaseled my way in was my wrestling coach actually owns the local gym. So we were allowed to get past the front desk to do cardio if we said that we were going in there and we were wrestlers. But I would just go right past and I'd go to the weight room. <laughs> so I would start there and I just, I went in there to move anything that I could possibly move. So I started basically just looking for the heaviest thing that I could possibly move in any way that I could do it. And I taught myself sort of just kind of like internet scouring a little bit and kind of watching people around to see generally how they did stuff. So I kind of learned how to squat by watching other people. And then over nothing I learned when I originally learned is still with me today. I'll say that. So I started off not having any guidance in it and I didn't have like any actual good idea of what, what I was doing. So I was just watching gym bros do what gym bros do. But I got pretty good at doing what gym bros do, just moving heavy stuff as many times as you can and then fist bumping the person next to you. Um, so back then it was, it ended up being, I started off just being a meathead and lifting super heavy stuff. And then I moved from lifting super heavy stuff to trying to lift super heavy stuff a thousand times. So I went directly into from basically, if I were to categorize it, it went from the home workout stuff into the heaviest quote unquote strength lifter stuff, power builder, whatever those bastardized words are, is basically what I was doing. And I did that for a year until I decided I'm just going to do more of this. So it ended up being a really high volume approach. And I was doing like 20, 30, 40 sets, like in a, in a workout. And it didn't matter what it was. I had no concept of like how much one muscle could take. And I would do like 20 sets for quads 
and it would be leg day and I didn't want to be a little girl. So I just went, all right, quads. I can do that first. I need to do 20 sets of quads. And then I'm going to do 20 sets of hamstrings and I'm going to hit calves and I'm going to start off with squats in back squat, front squat. I'm going to do safety bar squat because we had one, we had a V squat. So I'm going to do a really close V squat and then I'm going to do a wide one for my hamstrings. I need to do um, RDLs and I'm going to pull from the floor and I'm going to do basically it was, I threw everything, everything. I didn't write anything down in a logbook because I literally could not have fit it all on a page. And then after I started to get ahead about myself in like later high school, I started to refine what I knew a little bit, got myself, um, I introduced myself a little bit more with like what Mike Isertel and the RP guys do. And I started to learn a little bit more towards that. I didn't really embrace it yet, but I kind of started to learn their principles not in a super deep way, but just in a way that my feeble mind at the time could understand. Whoa, a bird just came and hit the window. Oh, there you go. It's a testament to cleanliness. <laughs> okay. Um, and then from there, it just developed to basically, I know what's going to work because I've gotten this far by just trying to when I push myself way too far doing too much, I would regress. And then when I would just pull it back and basically do deload periods where I would just pull everything back to basically one thing that I had to do per body part and just bury it. That's when I would progress. So from that, I just deduced that like, okay, this is the way to go, get stronger, get bigger, that they, they come in hand in hand is basically my understanding at that point. And I ran with that for two years. And then I kind of, I revisited back to the principles of like RP and like actual, like taking into account more than just load as a progressive method. And I started to understand a little bit more. I mean, I got a, a more, a broader and deeper look at anatomy and physiology as a whole through my schooling and then being unsatisfied with the schooling that I got, I went even more out of my way to learn what I actually needed to know for me to be effective. And I started to deduce like where it really was that the sweet spot was going to be between balancing volume on what body parts, what exercises are you're able to do it, what is going to fit, what's not, what, how do you balance everything across a day, across a week, across a month, how much time do you actually have to do these things? What is your actual recovery looking like based on the circumstances you're living in? And just like, I started like just accumulating all the variables and all the what ifs. And then from there going down every Avenue that that pointed me down to see like how far I could push any one of those variables at one time. And then drawing them back to see where I could push the other ones to see exactly where they would all fit in tandem with each other. And it ended up where I am now. Yeah, when I watch you train, you do something that I think a lot, of, a lot of bodybuilders miss, and that's like the specificity. Like you lift with specificity that would almost rival a powerlifter. Like powerlifters are going to squat, right? Like they're not going to go in one day. It's like, oh, you know what? That, that safety squat bar looks pretty good. Hey, let's use that today. It's like, well, is your upper back and potentially quads a weak point? Then no, then I'm not going to use that. That's dumb. Like I'm going to do the thing that works. Where 
like bodybuilders for better or for worse, but seemingly for always, they're going to walk into gyms and be like, oh, that's, I like, the, look at the angle of that. It's like, you have no idea what you're looking at. You don't have a fucking clue what you're looking at. You don't even know how to measure that angle or whether or not it's two pulleys versus one. You don't know. You're just like, I've never seen that before. Shiny red ball. I'm going to use that machine where it's like, I watch you lift and, and even prior to lockdown. And it's like, okay, like you're, you seem to stick with like a core few exercises and just hammer them mm-hmm. like specific like to the point of like super specificity of exercise selection mm-hmm. how is it that you go to approach like what is how do you prioritize i guess in order of like either muscle groups or movements like because everything i see you do is really strong and then i'm like all right well is everything this guy can do really strong like I'm there's some machines and some movements that I'm weak at and I prioritize them. It's like, how do you maintain a system of checks and balances and manage fatigue? Like do your dumbbell rows are heavier than some people's bench. And it's like, that's, you know, we can, we can scale our ability to recover, but like at the same time, it's like only to a certain extent, like you lift weights to a point where it's like, this guy needs to take a week off to the uninitiated after he does single arm dumbbell rows, like that's a ton of accumulated stress in a single set. How do you, how do you start to structure your program? Like I'm literally fascinated by the way you, you train because it's like, how do you structure a program and manage that kind of fatigue and still lift more than twice a week? Um, I'd have to say to start off that I definitely have some sort of a gift for it. So that helps me. But I kind of peel it back to what's essential and try not to go too deep into the thought process because it ends up convoluting the whole process and making things too complicated. So really what I look at is it's an organic process rather than trying to start off with a blank sheet and decide like, this is where it's all going to go because of the data that I have on myself from knowing myself and training under my own programs for as long as I have and testing myself in every direction. Like I said, I've looked at all the variables that I could possibly manipulate and I've pushed them as far as I could possibly take them. And like, to be an example of that, I decided that I was going to spend an entire year squatting every day. So I, I did that. And what I, and I didn't even do it intelligently because I wasn't doing it under like a special Bulgarian program for like, you just squat, then you go home. Or you just squat and you do that at 6 a.m. And then you come back and you do another set of squats at 2. And then you come back and you do it at 8 and then you go to bed. It was, I'm going to load up a bar with as much as I can possibly do for a set of 6. And I'm not going to stop and leave this rack until I get 50. And that's it. And then I'm going to start the rest of my training day. So that was an experiment to see exactly how far I could push my axial loading and still be able to recover. And I figured out that I could go pretty far. The wheels didn't fall off after a year. I didn't want to keep doing it, but I still survived. So like I basically up until now has all been experiments to see exactly where everything could be pushed. I know just about where my volume total can be for any one thing. I can push, I can push squats to be like, two or three sets a session, no matter how much weight is on the bar. That's it. If I'm going to do a pull and it's within 90% of my best of a working set, not as a one rep max, 
I can do that twice a week for a set each. I try to do them two consecutive in, a, in one session and I'll be smashed. So when I take these experiments and it might even when you look at it from the outside, like I'm surprised that you see anything intelligent in what I do because it looks from the outside when I try to look at it and remove myself, it looks like I'm going through things haphazardly and trying to decide what I'm going to do on any one given day like a normal bodybuilder would do. But it's more of deciding like, okay, off of this base, these variables that I know within a very small variation, this is the best practice. This is my spectrum through all of these. If these are all pull levers here across, if I know that they're all here and I'm going to push one slider up here, one of them's going to have to go down. If I push this one here, this one goes in the floor. Where do I make these adjustments? And every exercise is going to have different implications on what it's going to do to the total system afterwards and what it is that I need to be prepared for before I walk in on that day to do any one of those specific things. Like you said, it's not just, I'm not making considerations for, okay, I need to squat. And then everything else is an afterthought because it's an accessory. Because my accessories are just as much as an axial load as anything else. If you're doing a pull session and you can RDL 675, that's a lot of axial loading. You might be screwed after that. But if you're not and you survive, how, how do you get the rest of your stimu uh, stimulation? Because that's an all a global movement, but it's not going to totally hit the target that I'm looking for. If I were to go in and just do that set and then I'd leave, what, what would I be accomplishing in my actual goal? Because I'm not looking to power lift. And even then in RDL, how specific is that to me actually pulling something off the floor? It's analogous somewhat, but the position, positions aren't the same. So how, that's not getting anywhere. So when I look at these things, I have to start with the base of what I know I can do. And then from there, when I choose the other exercises that I, I use for the specific purpose of whatever I'm using it for, I know that there's other analogous pieces that I can pretty much closely simulate the same thing. And they're interchangeable to a degree, but they're not all going to have the same characteristics anyway. So based on the things that I know are similar between things, and then the smaller things that are different between them, the smaller things that are different is what decides what I'm going to use at that specific time. And if I'm pulling a lever in another place, I'm pushing the slide and turning the dial. I'm making an experiment on another side so that I can see how far I could take it. Then I need to know that like, okay, this, because of this characteristic of this thing, this is at risk. How important is this? What is the adaptation I'm trying to get out of this? If the adaptation here can be gotten from something else, then I can make that substitution. But what of the vital characteristics of this is the reason why I had it in in the first place? And then is it useful for me to push everything else to see if I could replace that and then see if I can add in other things that will take up that characteristic on its own? Some things you can't do that with. Some things you can. So hopefully that kind of explains. Well, I think of it this way. If it doesn't, it will at one point. Like, like if you listen to this now and you don't understand it, train for another five years and then you'll totally understand it. Because I think of this like, have you ever seen 
like remember like the th- the 3D pictures when they first came up with 3D printing and you're looking at this like you know geometricy kind of symmetrical weird pattern on a on a thing and you're looking at it and someone comes like oh it's a spaceship like how the fuck did you see a spaceship in that and you're like oh you just got to kind of squint and then pull your head away and then like you do it and then one day you're just walking by it and you're not even paying attention you go oh motherfucker there's that spaceship right it's like because like what i like and what i see and like and and the fact that i mean when you think like you know that what i see is first principles intent based training that's what i see you understand the first principles of movement like overarching meta principles that dictate relative joint position levers the stress of implementation like a dial movement here could be this hinge needs to go from free weight barbell to unilateral dumbbell or bilateral cable or machine and you understand how that not like you understand how inoculated you are to stress based off running all these experiments you have the top levels of like I always compare it to audio because I'm looking at a little bar that spikes when I talk and then when I start to yell it hits up in red lines you know what the weight and volume and overall stress of these exercises where they redline and you know how to sit there like a conductor and this total output that's coming out of this box of a program is as close to 100% output that you can get and still recover from right like that is what that is literally what everyone should strive for like when people sit there on the bathroom mirror and I'm guilty of this and they write up like this beautiful mind six week progression it's like okay, you'll get there one day. You'll understand first principles intent-based programming one day. It's not today because people get so lost in like, you know, and you know, I like that you mentioned RP, like maximum recoverable volume and all that. And it's like, okay, but you, you, you don't, there, there's, there's a, there's a drop, there's infinite drop down menus of variations and alterations that you can make on any given day to like, cause you're trying to hit it so close to a hundred that every decimal point of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to add two reps there, or I'm going to work at a higher intensity, cut my volume per set, do more sets. If I don't, the relative intensity of the one set's higher, but I can't perform another set. What's going to be the accumulated benefit? How close to that hundred can I get out of squeezing everything out of this exercise? If I spread it across two sets at a lower relative intensity in, 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 uh, in a lower uh, free or volume per set, or if I, if I blast it in one set, there's obviously going to be a higher volume for that set, but I'm not going to over- accumulate the number of repetitions. Well, how skillful am, am I at the movement? Do I need to practice the skill of lifting this heavy? Then I opt in for like, okay, I'm going to spread this across two sets, three sets as doubles or triples on like six to eight minute rest and make sure they're spot on. Or am I, am I technically proficient enough in this lift that I can drop the hammer on that volume in one single set and then carry on with the session? Like there's so much to be taken away from that thought process. That is literally, that's the fucking mountaintop of programming that no, but seriously, do you laugh? Cause it's like, you sit there and you're like, yeah, yeah. Ha, ha. But it's like, you know, in the back of your mind that that is like long-term with programming, that is the goal. Like that is 100% the goal is to understand what I call first principles, intent-based programming. Cause it's like, it, it's like, you know, uh, all, like everyone would say like, oh, like a, a pole's a pole. It's like, not really, man. Like I'll do, I'll do a set of deadlifts. And if I'm rusty, I'll think I did four separate exercises and four reps. 
Like if my technique is not like, oh no, my shoulders weren't back enough or I was leaning too far over my toes. And I'll literally like shake my head between reps because it's like, oh, opportunity lost, opportunity lost, fuck. And it's like, how the set feel? It's like, what's that? I did four separate exercises. I did f- a single in four separate exercises. And it's like, people don't understand like to drive these adaptations, the level of specificity that you need. So when you describe your programming and it's like, I'm only looking through a keyhole of the internet and watching you lift, but it's like, the, the, it's the only way you can do it. It's the only way you lifting as much weight as you fucking lift. If you don't calibrate it down to like the decibel, to the frequency, to the wavelength, to the megahertz, to the, the, the tune that you need to, it, it falls apart. Yeah. Like you cannot fly that shit that close to the fucking sun without knowing what you're doing. General best practice doesn't work when you get that high. Yeah. It doesn't. You can't use general, like the general programming that anybody else could use and get to the same place. If the potential that's being looked at over a general programming that's going to be looked at for prescribing for a swath of people where it's going to be most accurate for most people, if it's not controlling for the best characteristics that that person has at their disposal, the things that they can utilize the best for whatever their, their personal bests could be based on their own leverages, what their skills are at the time, what they can actually access effectively, what they can recover from, what their personal, like whatever they were born into this world, having the ability to do. Those things end up getting lost when you look at just general principles. But like you said, you need to know every, all the what ifs that this is a pet peeve of mine that keeps on getting to me. It depends is might be the one thing that annoys me the most about the world right now. It depends is the worst statement ever. It's now, it's now giving a license to people that genuinely have no idea what's going on to be some sort of arbiter of information that goes, somebody asks a, a high level question. Well, it depends. Okay. So that's the guise of you knowing that you, that you have the information but you have so much information that you're not going to say it. Wow. You must be really smart. Smoke bomb it. I love a good smoke bomb in a conversation. Like whenever I see that it's, I, I have, I was talking to a group. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter anymore. I suppose I've been inside for so long. I was talking to a group the other day and it's the same when people say like, I, I mean, I talk about like some anatomy stuff and whenever I hear someone go, well, all the little stabilizer muscles. It's like, boom, David Blaine, that shit. Throw the smoke bomb, run out of the room. It's like, what? You have no idea. Like, I'll, I'll do an Instagram story questionnaire thing and I'll have 45 minutes and I'll have answered one question in annoying 15 second increments. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're a female, it might be this. If you're a male, it might be this. But if you're young, it might be this. If you're old, it might be this. Uh, if, you're, if you're old and female, it might be this. And it's just like, I have one guy who asked me the, like almost the same question every single week. And it's like, I don't know, it's non-specific. It's not really stimulating. So I don't answer it, but it's like, but I only answer like four questions a week. It takes me 20 minutes. Cause it's like annoying 15 second increments going, oh, oh shit. Okay. Well, what I was saying at the end of that was love, but it's like, yeah, dude, I'm a hundred percent with you. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a veil of knowledge. It's a, it's a thin veil of the, of the illusion of having knowledge. It's like, you need to know like the context behind it. The one thing I think you do really well that I've noticed that I think a lot of people should take, take note of is, 
is you, I mean, you talked about this as you started your, your undergrad, like getting a deeper knowledge in the anatomy and physiology is making exercises fit you, right? I think that's something that a lot of people don't really understand, like, or like they say they understand, but when you watch the way they execute and set up movements, shut up, shut up, Siri. Um, when you, when you start to un, like, when you see the way you execute and set up movements, it's like, okay, this, this fits like, you know, you'll prop yourself up or you'll adjust the height of a cable or something like that's something when I, when I watch, like, that's a mind, that's a minute detail. Like if I just stick this cable at the top, that's too much shoulder flexion to, you know, really try and target the part of the lats that I'm trying to target with this movement. If I'm going to smash, you know, lots at varying degrees and varying degrees of shoulder flexion, understanding that that's going to change the priority of recruitment versus horizontal and vertical and uh, uh, moment arms uh, leading to overloading fully lengthened or mid-range or fully shortened. It's like that's the one thing that really stood out when I started like paying attention to the way you lift. It's like, oh, okay, like that's like that's something. Because it's like general principles. Like I always make the comparison of like, like when I talk about research, it's like, you know, hey, how do you feel? Well, you know, my head's in the oven, my feet are in the freezer, but on the whole, I feel pretty good. And yeah. it's like, that's what I see a lot of people's programming. It's like, man, you're, you're cutting it right down the center and you're leaving so much to be desired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I had an idea there. You led me in the right direction. Brain what were we talking about? We were talking about per like customizing exercises based off of like your anatomy, strength curves, resistance. Go. Right. So that, that's actually something that I can give you a little bit of credit for. So yeah, you, yeah, you, <laughs> you. Um, so I actually, when I first started to get myself better educated with training itself, aside from just knowing the book learning, I actually looked to your good pal, Ben. Benny. God yeah. love him. Yeah. So that was like one of my first introductions to to getting past like the bro knowledge and going and actually having the introduction to just thinking more about what is going on and the things that you can manipulate. And then obviously there, there was a, there was a bottleneck to how much that could get because you know, Ben's got things to do. He didn't put everything into, into this program that you could buy. Right. You know, the, <laughs> the MI 40 extreme for X amount of dollars was, boom. <laughs> When he said he used to say boom after everything. If you ever notice it, go back and watch a boom. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing, man? It's like Siegfried and Roy teaching exercise selection. Yeah. It, he's grown a lot as a guy. I mean, I, I really appreciate him. Um, uh, but anyway, having that first introduction kind of led me down the right path to start thinking that way. And then I kind of used that lens that I gained out of just looking at like, this, what can I actually do? Just abandon all the things that I was told originally that like, you don't do this, you don't do this. You do do this. And this thing is the way you do this. Um, leaving all that aside and just going like, okay, let me try everything. And let me see if this even remotely feels like it did it right. And that was the first way that I explored it and just went, okay, does, is this okay? Is this okay? Does this hurt? Cause obviously like I, there's no point if you hurt because there's a limited amount of runway. If you're doing something and it feels like your elbow's about to snap in half and you just decide, Oh, I'm just, this is just the way it is. No, it's not. No, it's not. And I, luckily I had enough influence at the time that I wasn't as hard headed to believe that it was just fine. And I was led kind of like I was ushered 
just right, just in the right trajectory for me to start walking in the right direction. And then when things got dark and I had nowhere left to go, I started building the path myself and started feeding myself with the information that wasn't as easily found. And that stuff that wasn't as easily found was one, you and everything that you guys talk about. So to a lot of it was fortifying my own thinking processes in the beginning, because being, you know, an undergrad student that never, never accomplished anything is what I always said, never accomplished anything, never really did anything that could actually get me any sort of authority, even to myself. So I always thought in the back of my mind, like I could be right. This could be it, but is it? But always thinking that, but is it, is kind of where it's landed me now, where, and even back I can, because I talk in circles, um, to bring it back to the it depends. That infuriates me so much, not even just because it's a thin veil of knowledge that people like to put over themselves so they can act like they're somebody that they're not, because it's now cool to be the scientific communicator whether or not you understand the science you're trying to communicate or that whether or not you understand what the actual base principles of whatever Instagram posts that you just read that you now have ripped off to use, whether or not you understood that you still, you still did it. And then when you get questions in the comments and it, it, it depends, that makes me a lot less angry than the fact, just the base principle of somebody deciding I have the answer and then not knowing the answer. Because you, you can know the tag, you can know the, the words that will get you that quick, you know, like Harry Houdini, like boom, like <laughs> done. Like just throw the smoke bomb and you're out of there because you said the one sentence that gave you the golden ticket out. It was the reason why I'm here talking to you right now and I'm not in, like I'm not on an iron lung because I just, I crushed myself under a squat that I couldn't handle is because I went out of my way because I always had that little bit of cynicism, a little bit of skepticism that told me like, but what if you're not right? And then all those, it depends, instead of just going, it depends and then leaving it to somebody smarter than me to decide what it depends on, I would go and look to be like, what are all of the possible things that could change this outcome? What is every single thing that changed this outcome? If this is the center and this is the, it depends branch, then what are all the things that makes this thing depend here? What are all the things and characteristics of it that make it depend in every other direction that it could have from there? Then understanding that it's not an answer. It's a tree. It's a tree with branches that extend into everywhere. Something that you couldn't fully fathom, even if you tried to bring it all the way to the ends. And if you did, you become so arbitrarily knowledgeable about something that's unimportant that it doesn't get you anywhere. You mean having a PhD? Kind of. <laughs> it's, it's literally like it's following the branch down to the end of a point of a leaf and then trying to tell me about the tree. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're so far away from the point. Like, I don't know, like, yeah, protein metabolism is cool, but you know what's cool? Lifting fucking weights. Like that's kind of the point. Yeah. I find like the one thing, um, like I always think of, you know how they train elephants in like Thailand? It's like when they're really small, they drive a stake into the ground. 
and they tie the, the rope around the stake and a rope around the ankle. Now, when it's small and the stake's big enough, it can keep that elephant in the same place. But it's like, good fucking luck. tying Unless this thing is augered 40, 50 feet into the ground, good luck keeping an elephant on a stake, but you can because the elephant learns that at a young age, the limitation of its of its ability to roam is is going to be uh, is going to be holstered by this rope tied to its ankle, tied to the stake. The stake in the ground, like if this thing fucking sneezed, the thing would come out. But I feel like a lot of people, when they, I think a lot of people succumb to like the social hierarchy of like, well, this guy has this credential or this chick has this many followers or whatever and go, okay, I'm going to be, I always think of the expo, right? And like, I would go to like, uh, what was the first expo I went to? Maybe like San Jose fit expo or LA fit expo. And I clearly just realized like, okay, this is how the fitness industry works. It's what side of the booth are you on? What side of the booth are you on? If you're on the other side of the booth, doesn't matter what you're doing, what you're saying, you are an authority. And if you're on the other, like if you're on the side of the booth that's sitting there waiting in line to, you know, shake the hand of Jerome Hollywood Ferguson. I mean, I like Jerome, but at the same time, it's like it's not 1992 anymore. It's like, and to get free pre-workout, it's like, okay, that's the clear division. It's like these are the two camps, and it's like the people on the other side of the booth, the people that are that people are lining up to go see. It's like that; those are the people that are they are the stake and tether that is holding back, like because they're all doing this you know, very non-specific, broad brush, like, well, that depends. That depends. And, you know, maybe one day, you know, you're, when you understand that your ubulus connects to your upper dorsimus and all that, you're like, what the fuck are you even saying? It's like <laughs> lending some context to that, I think, is it, it, it holds so many people back. Like, it is like a, like a proclamation of like an inferiority complex that I think stifles so many people's potential. It's like, look, you want to be scientific? It's like, all right, you got a subject, you. You have methods, you have a hypothesis. Go on, test and retest, my friends. Like, that's, that's science. Like, uh, you, you reduce, like, conventional science when you're using, uh, like, randomized control trials, it's like you're almost taking the value proposition out of the thing that you're actually trying to test because it's like if there's one thing everyone has, it's incalculable variables, so when you calculate these variables, you change. That's like trying to trying to uh, sight in a rifle, and rather than actually changing the, the the lens on the scope or the angle of the stand, you just start moving the target. So that the wherever the bullet is off, you just put the target there. It's like that's not how it works. You're not going to be like downrange or overseas and be like, hey man. Uh, I'm shooting at you. Could you move it a little bit to the left? Oh, thanks. And then Chris Kyle, someone, right? Like you can't do that. It's just, it's, it's such a, like a subliminal narrative now that like people don't even know what's happening. And it's probably the most widely perpetuated way that people stay on that safe side of the, of the booth. They stay on the safe side of that expo booth where, you know, they're seen as an authority. And it's like, it's, it's almost like you remember, uh, fuck the first generation iron. Mm -hmm. Fucking hate Generation Iron. God, they're the yeah, worst. Yeah. We, we I remember. Don't I remember it's mm -hmm. the they, they just suck. Like, like yeah. I just the, the the stuff they put out. It's like you want to talk like I joke about Jim Shark, but like you can't really joke about Jim Shark because Chris mm -hmm. Bumstead sponsored by him, and I think Bumstead's yeah. a sick lifter. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like Generation Iron's what's wrong. I don't. 
whatever, fuck it. There's like four people who know what that is now, but it's 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 trash media. But Phil Heath kind of said like in the first one, like if you want something that you've never, and it's an old saying, like you want something you've never done before, you have to do something you've never done before. But it's like if you want something that no one's ever done before, you're going to have to do something that no one's ever done before. Right? And I think that that paradigm of like, oh, I'm just going to go online and get download a free program. It's like, all right, it's a it's the city bus of lifting weights. It's like you're going to end up in the same place as everyone else, and you're not driving. It's like oh, the fuck's the point of that? Yeah, yeah, and that's something else too. Is that this? Well, to start, science is no longer science in this field because everyone's a science communicator, and the the actual people that are the arbiters of science in this industry, like the people like Brad Schoenfeld, like one of the most published authors in this space ever since it started. Like you could look at the comment section for him and it's just the most unbiased, just bashing of everyone that comes into the comment section because it's just, it's factual information and it's not opinionated. It's just, this is it. This is what we know. I'm not going to tell you that this is right or wrong, but this is what we know. And this is why what you said is not what I said. Basically, but now instead, if you look at even to take your expo, because that makes a lot of sense, and I actually never thought about the expo that way. Uh, that's a really great analogy, but an even better one Instagram is the expo, oh, and yeah. every one of our pages is a booth. All of us, as soon as you put up a picture or a video and then you put up the words underneath it in, in the caption, you are essentially at the same, you're sitting at the same side of the booth that the person that is supposed to be that's trying to give to everybody else, to feed into everybody else and be the celebrity, be the person that has the key, has the information. You can't do that if everybody's doing it. You can't do it if everybody's saying the same thing, but it's been put through the telephone line so many times that like Brad Schoenfeld said it first. And then by the end of it, it ends up being something basically the opposite of what was said, which is what we're now getting And It's, it's becoming now, instead of it being an actual, uh, it would be different if it was a collective pursuit of us moving in the right direction. Because maybe, maybe if we were, at large, a population of people that actually cared about each other in the direction that we're all going, maybe that would be the case. But because we're all basically just the aggregate of the most self-interested humans on the planet, this giant group of people are just clamoring to be the person in their town, basically their followership, to be the one with the answer. Doesn't matter if their answer was right, but they're going to stick by it to the death, which is definitionally against what science is. Science, for the entire time that we've had it, as humans, as things with a brain large enough to comprehend that it has its own brain, we've been looking to find the reason why we're wrong. Every study is us going, this is what we think. We're doing this specifically to see if we're wrong. And then you change the characteristics of the test to see in what direction can you push it along so you're a little bit less wrong this time. 
no longer the case when everybody's trying to be the person that's making the scientific breakthrough and has the answer when we're all just looking to be right. No one is right. No one. So now there's the it depends. It comes back again. The it depends every time is you finding a way for you to be right, no matter what it is that the next person says to you. Because it's this, this hubris that we get from feeling like we have the answer that just is un, so, it's so powerful that we can't shake it anymore. And now that we all have our own expo booth, that at any point in time, at any day, we can just proclaim from behind our booth of authority that everyone in the lines, in the crowd of people around us is just going to listen and just go, here, here, fist emoji. There you go. You did it. I think the one thing that you do really well is, because for me, it's like, you always got like, this is going to sound weird, but it's like, you got to keep it gangster. And the, the most gangster play of all time, it's like, it's, it's like the, the training day. It's like, it's not about you know, what you know, it's about what you can prove. Right. And like, that's when like the 585 front squat comes into play. And that's when the 675 for four back squat comes into play. And the 270 pound dumbbell row comes into play. Cause it's like, like I look at like evidence is, you know, yeah, evidence research, research is a part of evidence. It is not like the overarching ubiquitous term. There's not synonymous terms. They're one, like it's one small subset of fuck off Siri. Um, if we look, but a lot of people are conflating in the same way, like when shreds was coming up and then everyone's like, Oh my God, can you believe they're taking steroids and Photoshopping and to sell proteins? Like shut the fuck up. Really? <laughs> wow. Human beings are being disingenuous to their own game. I'll, I'll now I'll believe anything. Wow. And it's like the, all they're doing now is they're massaging research to, like you said, make themselves right. Like they're, they're changing the, the fundamental framework of science with a confirmation bias and being like, all right, well, now I can spin up an infographic and now I can sell something on the back end. It's like a revenge of the nerds kind of thing. But it's like you got you to gotta be able to bring it, right? Like the, the proof is in the pudding and it's like you know, to be scientifically based. And there's merit. Like there's guys that like I've trained with that they'll tell you like, well, I don't care. Like I don't care about like this, the science side of it. But and like they have, you know, genetic predisposition to, to looking a certain way. But like in an experience side, it's like they got they got quadruple PhDs. Like any IFBB bodybuilder has gone through enough. Like, and yeah, there's some that are less intelligent than others. Like there's some that have been, you know, in diabetic comas because they crank the slant a bit too high or something. It's like, well, look, the pain is knowledge really fast. And yeah. you learn the difference between 10 IUs and 100 real quick, right? Like <laughs> you'll, you'll learn, don't draw that. And it's like that, that's, that's valuable because, you know, Brad Schoenfeld, I don't think, could tell you what that feels like. Just like you, you can't, like someone can't tell me or tell you or most people can't, what a 585 front squat feels like. And it's like, that's a PhD. Like that in itself is a credential that like you, it, it'll take someone, what, undergrad, master's, PhD, yeah, eight years maybe. Depends on, depends on who your, uh, like who your advisor is. It's like, how long does it take you to go from, you know, 165 pound, violet bow regard of alignment at 12 years old to you know front squatting 585 well it's like yeah 
eight, 10, 12 years, maybe longer, maybe. And some people will never reach it. That's the thing. Like you pay enough money and you just pay attention. Like you can get a PhD. Like it's not, it's not terribly difficult. Yeah. Dissertations are annoying and, you know, defending a thesis is kind of like, well, fuck these people. Like, what do they know? They're old and literally <laughs> sitting at the kid's table of this thing, but it's like, you can get through, like, I don't, I know like a ton of PhDs and I've never met anyone who has never completed their PhD. And I'm sure they're out there, but it's like, I know less people that have com not completed their PhD than I know people that confront squat 585. Right. So it's the same. It's, I, I, we just, and the pendulum will swing, man. The tide will go out on the education. Once, once it gets more common knowledge that people are just using it to their own gain. And then the, the tide will start to swing back to hopefully, you know, circumambulate to a center point where we can almost create like, look, what is your front squat and how many school, years of schools you do? What's your body? It create like a, like a, an intelligence coefficient in the fitness industry. <laughs> it's like, all right, this is your score, you know, based off the fact you front squat more than anyone and you have this degree and this is, this is your trading value. And that's the problem with, um, with the, like the fitness industry, the trading value is based off of social media leverage, right? Like that's like, it's like a social stock market where it's like, yeah. Oh, what's so-and-so trading at? It's like, Oh, he must be valuable because he's up 10,000 followers. It's like, yeah, not really. Right. And, but that's, that's the currency that we start to play in. But I think it's there's changing rules of engagement too. Cause right. rules of engagement change the game anyway, because it's not actually about what is going to be most engaging for the person that's actually looking for information. That's, that's part of the big issue too. And I think that's also part of the reason that, that we have such this wild swing in any one direction in one time. I feel like, I mean, I haven't been around for that long. I mean, I'm still a kid, but in the time that I've seen the flow of information change, instead of it being like a couple of years where something's in vogue in the thing, it's now like you have like a six month period where like nobody knew about it everybody knew about it everybody did it then everybody hates it right and it's on to the next thing and it's not it's not this long drawn out process where anybody actually had the time to go through actually doing the thing for it to have shown them anything of value and it's not getting anything in like no information is being passed that we don't know like that we didn't know before unless it was some from somebody that's gone through the process themselves that wasn't advertising it in any way to get to garner followership or to get engagement to go and decide like, okay, this was the direction and I followed. There's people like you that do that. The reason why you have people that follow you religiously like they do, and you have such a strong group of people that do follow behind you is because it doesn't matter if you didn't follow the algorithm. You didn't follow the six month period where you said one thing and by the next six months, you're going to have an entire different story to tell. And up until a point, you didn't put out information that you knew that wasn't going to be like your RX program, which definitely buying into that one. And I suggest that everybody on here, I'm going to advertise it for you. Wow, everybody, company, man. everybody do it right now. Pause this, go buy yourself in and get access to this man. Okay. But it's people that go out of their way to bear the cross of what the things that they know that they can't know yet. 
and go and follow it until they find their answer and not advertising it to the world until they have. Because it doesn't, when you're sitting there and you have to do this and follow that path that you don't know where it's going to lead you yet, you start advertising it. It's like the, it's the meme of I'm working in silence, but you still posted it on the ground. Right. I love that. The irony is just like, like it's so preposterous that you can't see what you're doing. It's yeah. I mean, I look at it almost like things that are like radioactive and like things that have really long half-lives. Like you can't go back to Chernobyl for a really long time. Like, because the core of that is so strong and it's strong because the half-life is so long. Right. Like the half-life is going to be, I don't know what it may be like the next after we wipe ourselves out and another, maybe Chernobyl could be like a bustling metropolis. Not that it was anywhere to really visit beforehand, but it's like things that are timeless are things that like, I always look back at the guys like Charles Poliquin. He was talking about cluster training before research on cluster training ever came out because he was putting, he was, he was training this way and putting people onto the Olympic podiums. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like, that, and to this day, the core of that principle still remains and it's still strong, right? Where it's like, I feel like we're trying to come up with these new base elements and these new base elements are so fleeting and peripheral and so weak in their core that their half-life is so short. And the half-life is so short and you can see a thought process dwindle through its life cycle and, and have a little flare of social interest. And it's like, if you don't have a strong core that won't radiate for any length of time the half-life is short and then we start to see just a, a an almost an exponential decrease in the half-life because it's like the, the the social um filter that you're pushing it through is pushing it through with so much pressure that we're actually speeding up the filtration process so it's like and that's a, it's a hard part too like it's it's a fairly rewarding pursuit if you can strike but like i'll still have people that go back and like stuff that I didn't want to before I even knew what like a DSLR camera was. And I was like talking super fast in front of a whiteboard in front of my office. People still like go back and like share those things. It's like you want to create or inter- like relay something that can be like timeless, right? Like, you know, body weight programs. It's like, okay, if you make a good body weight program and you work with athletes or something like that's fine. Don't make an at home Armageddon program covid program because like that's not timeless right that has a very weak core to it that is not going to radiate and resonate long term so it's just i mean we are and i'm sure this is the same in every industry it's like this is human behavior played out in the fitness arena we could be sitting here talking about bear bonds or real estate stuff or whatever and it's like we have the same shithead people doing the same thing and like a select few people who kind of respect the craft or the art of it be like okay like here is where we want people to to gravitate towards yep it's a it's trying to explore a forest with a pen light in the dark is basically what this right or the flashlight on your iphone they look Eh? That's 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 us. That's like where the fuck are we? What are we doing with this thing? That's too strong. That's too strong. Pen light. Yeah. Walking in the dark in a forest that you've never been in is basically what what's happening right now. So you have the radioactive, um, the half life as your example. The way I see it, even though that's accurate, is 
what's happening is because there's people like bringing it back to you, people like you that followed the path and you didn't start screaming about the path until you found your destination. At least you found enough on that path for you to report back. What's happening now is everybody's exploring this forest. They're taking it upon themselves instead of listening to the people that went the distance already. And then every time that they see something on the ground that looks like a path, they start to follow it and they proclaim to the world, I found the way. Oh my God, I found the way. They take one step, they report back. They take two steps, they report back. They take 10 steps, maybe they get lucky. And they start walking for five, 10 minutes, five, 10 weeks. And then they report back and go, oh, I'm lost. But the hubris doesn't allow them to say that. (laughs) And And then there it goes. And it's just the same repeated bullshit that never had any basis in the first place because they got lost in the woods and they didn't want to explain to the world afterwards that, oh yeah, I didn't actually know where I was going. I just went where I went and I didn't know. So I just went with what I thought was right. And at this point, it's too far to abandon ship. So if you're on the ship, we're going to keep going. We're just going to Titanic this bitch. We're just going to go down like the captive we're sinking with it what's i mean what's on the agenda now like i mean you're in a position that i think is fairly unique as you're so young and i think you're leveraged your frankly just leveraged your ability which is obviously to me proof of concept like where do you i mean there's no point in i think projecting what like social media is going to do but what i guess what are kind of next steps for you on training and education and all that kind of stuff well part of my plan moving forward is i mean we i don't know if uh our preamble, our talk before this is being put into the, the podcast anyway. But uh, after the bachelor's degrees that I finished on Tuesday, thank God, <laughs> <laughs> thank God those are over. <laughs> but now that that's done, I'm taking some time away from traditional academia because partially I just don't even know where I want to go. Um, I've considered doing PT. I've considered doing Cairo. I've considered doing a master's and PhD in exercise science or in any specific field that I wanted to go into, maybe applied biomechanics, which is kind of the direction that I think in, kind of the, the mental direction that I kind of look, the lens that I look at everything through is more that way rather than looking at physiology or nutrition or like any of those other subsets that are more popular routes that have actual established places that you could go for a job. Uh, I even, this my final semester of school, I had an internship in a, in a place that was pretty unique that had like basically everything in, under one roof. And I ended, ended up learning that basically none of it. There's, there's PT there, there was performance there, there was, and it, it ended, ended up being more of a headache than it was anything else. So I'm more, more thinking in the direction of right now, because like you said, I have I'm in a different position than, I mean, I couldn't have thought myself to have landed where I am now. Honestly, I didn't think I'd be sitting here talking to you. I didn't think <laughs> I'd have, I, I didn't think that I'd ever have the opportunities. Like if six months ago, I was told that I had the opportunities now that have fallen in front of me in the last month, two months, I would have said you were completely crazy. So 
I can't talk too much about some of the things that are happening for me, but there are some things that I'm going to be working on that are going to be made more public soon that, you know, at least for the time being, are going to take me in a direction that I think is worthwhile. And then from there, uh, plan after being so burnt out from normal academia, taking the time to go and just live life a little bit and get some real experience. So I actually have a worthwhile lens to look at the education through because I've spent the, the, entire, the entirety of my life sitting, sitting in classroom being talked at. I'd like to go and be in the world to see from the actual inside rather than being kind of like at this weird in one hat, one foot in, one foot out in this industry where I'm going to be spending most of my life kind of being in this, that weird position I've been in for so long. I, I think it's time to just dive in and see what's here and get my feet wet with everything. And then decide from there, like after that point, it's going to be an emergent process and where I go is going to be decided by whatever it is that my life turns into. And I think that's a smarter way than me trying to dictate where I should go with my 22 year old brain that knows not enough for me to decide what my entire life should look like yet in my opinion. So I think oh. I mean, for me, it's like, I'm excited to have this like kind of archived. And like, I don't often save the videos of these cause it's like, it's just an audio podcast, but I've actually purposely saved the video for this. So like in six months to a year, like where you end up, wherever it is that you're going, I could be like, Hey, this is like, this is like a year ago. Cause it's, I don't know. I just, in the last, I don't know, man, like a year, maybe just kind of watching like your progression and your, in your training and your thought process. Like it's been pretty cool. Um, so I'm excited to give people like quick rundown. Like I don't do the thing where I actually, I'll intro you after and I'll, I'll pump your tires and all that. But for those, like and I'll put the Instagram handle, but do the thing where it's like, Oh, like this is where you find me and all that, all that stuff. Cause it's like, I think you're, I, I don't give a seal of approval to many people. And for what it's worth, I'm just a cynical prick like anyone else. But like, <laughs> I think the stuff you do, man, is really on another level. So where can, where can people kind of find you and to kind of keep an eye on what you got coming in? Basically, just go to my Instagram. That everything that, that you need to know about me is going to be there or it's in my link tree. So at Nick Gloff on Instagram. I'll put it all up in the show notes. Man, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. This is a lot long overdue. Um, and yeah, guys, like I don't, I don't, I don't believe in many people like myself included, but Nick is someone like, you're definitely someone, man, that like you, you got, especially at your age, which always blows me away. And more so from a thought process standpoint than an actual application standpoint, which is saying something cause you're so fucking strong. Um, yeah, it's definite, definite like nod of approval, man. I'm excited to hear what you got going on.